So let's jump into it this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, go with me to oh, uh, Acts chapter 9 this morning. Or if you have the uh, Bible app on your phone, you're welcome to go to our Bible app and follow right along. You can take notes in the Bible app, send it to you after the end of the message, and that way you can kind of follow up the rest of the week. But uh, Acts chapter 9, and as you're going there, I'll give you just a little bit of context about what is going on. If you're not familiar with the book of Acts, Acts is the story of early, uh, after the resurrection, Jesus followers, as the church is kind of getting, the New Testament church is getting birth. It is beginning to grow. And so for them, church was not just a part of their lives. It was not something that they like fit into their schedule. It was so much more than that for them. Church was a way that they actually centered themselves. It's the way they centered their lives was a way that the community would gather and scatter. And so What's fascinating to think about about this early church is it was dynamic and it was dangerous. In fact, over the last 2,000 years, you have seen political leaders rise and fall. You've seen empires be built and destroyed. But the bride of Christ is the only endeavor that will last forever. Amen? And it is beautiful. And so... Honestly, when you're coming to church, there is this mentality shift that I think we, that we get invited into, that we're not just going to a worship gathering, but we're joining God's endeavor that has been established for thousands of years, and it is the only thing that will last until Christ returns. And it is this beautiful movement that you and I kind of get tucked up into. And if you read the first couple of chapters of the book of Acts, man, it is powerful. You see some amazing stories begin to unfold over the first couple chapters of Acts when people are in need. Like their friends are all gathering resources and meeting needs. When when there's a problem that would arise, imagine this, there would be no gossip about it people would go straight to them and say, how can we care for you? Like when there were people that were sick, the body would come and lay hands and they would see unbelievable things. The church was this beautiful, dynamic and dangerous expression of God's heart. And this honestly is your family lineage. This is your DNA. This is who you are. This is the the family that you come up and out of. And while all of that is true uh, for the start of the book of Acts, that only lasts a few chapters. (laughs) Because you get a couple chapters in, in the book of Acts, and what suddenly was this compelling powerful movement of God like the earth had never seen this type of expression before, suddenly, whoop, the bottom falls out. And they start facing a lot of difficulty and a lot of, man, we're up against the wall. This is not what I expected. This certainly is not what I signed up for. And we're not talking about like on the first day of school, Zoom goes out. (laughs) Amen, parents? Come on. Like this is real hardship that the early church is beginning to experience. And there are people that are in the early church that are getting persecuted. They are people that like you show up this week and next week half the community doesn't show up because they're, they have told somebody about Jesus. They're leaders in this early movement and a young man, a man named Stephen is out 
preaching the gospel. And because there is this opposition against the early church, Stephen is plucked out and in front of all of them, they stone him to death. There are voices in this early movement that are trying to squash out, to stamp out this movement of God. One of them is named Saul. And Saul is uh, the religious elite of the time and he is gathering information on all of this early, early Christian church and he is dragging, it doesn't matter who, but he is dragging both men and women out of their homes and he is locking them away in prison. And what started off as this dynamic and this powerful movement, suddenly the bottom has fallen out. And where they used to greet one another with this funny little saying where they would say things like, brother and sister, because you were not joining just a group of people. You were being sucked up into this family. All of a sudden, this family is facing severe persecution. So what are you, you supposed to do when the bottom falls out? What are you supposed to do when things are supposed to be going up and to the right because that's what we like and all of a sudden you find yourself just getting squeezed in a way maybe that you never saw coming? Because here's the truth. Does anybody like uncomfort? Does anybody like friction? Does anybody like to feel the pressure of life kind of just pushing down on you when you find yourself in circumstances that are beyond your control, that are not comfortable? I mean, Lord help us. We have terms like comfort food, <laughs> comfort viewing, right? I've been watching The Wonder Years. It's so good. It's so good. I haven't watched that in years. One of my friends mentioned it this last week, and I'm like, I need to start watching that. So good. We have comfort clothes. We are people that are bent. When we feel uncomfortable, we are bent towards going out and finding comfort, to going out and fixing whatever is causing the stress, the pressure, the anxiety, the friction in our, in our relationships. And here's what I want us to begin to think about this morning is what do you do when suddenly you're faced with that in your own life? What do you do when the bottom falls out? Where you get a phone call that's, that's really unexpected. Where the job suddenly becomes really shakily, really shaky or even worse than that, it's gone. What do you do when things in your family feel like they are falling apart? When things feel really, really difficult and I want to, you want to be people that go out and just fix whatever it is, is it's kind of causing that uncomfort in our lives. And I want to tell you this morning, you are not designed to go out and chase down comfort like it was some sort of a commodity that we can go out and just wrap our arms around. Comfort brothers and sisters is a gift that is meant to be received. It's not something that you go chase down and try to get, but comfort is a gift that is received that Jesus brings to us. 
he says things like this, crazy things like, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who find themselves at the end of themselves. Blessed are those who mourn and experience loss. Blessed are those who find themselves being down and out because I will be their comfort. And yet, if you're like me, I'm bent towards going out and just finding anything that can like, take the edge off, that can fix the circumstance that my prayers go to. Lord, just get me out of this. I don't like feeling this un. Comfort. And so what do you do when life gets hard and you get squeezed and suddenly you're in a place that you, you just didn't think? A couple ideas for us this morning. So what do you do when life gets really hard? Like real hard. Where... Like, you lay your head down at night and you won't go to sleep. As Linda said this morning, that thought just keeps coming and it keeps coming. And you feel yourself just restless in your spirit and you know that this is, this is difficult. What do you do when life gets difficult and everything around you is not what you th- how you thought it was going to be? The vast majority of us, what we, what we tend to do is we tend to go out we, to, we tend to go out and we tend to look for a little bit of comfort. We tend to look for something that will take the edge off, that will help us feel better about the circumstances that we are walking through and no one likes to be uncomfortable. That's really a difficult thing. But here's, here's the thing I've been praying and considering for us this morning is the battle for you and I is not for comfort. The battle is not for comfort because Jesus brings the gift of comfort. It is not something that you and I are designed to go and chase down, to go, to go get, to go purchase, to go find, to go medicate ourselves with. The battle for you and for I is for something completely different. The battle for us is for courage. The battle for you and for me is that we would be people of great courage even when it's hard, even when it's difficult. That you are somebody that is hardwired, built into your DNA, is somebody that is meant to live a courageous life. That whatever is in front of you, you walk confidently and boldly and faithfully, not just through it, but victoriously through it. This is how God has specifically designed you. You are meant to live a courageous life, and what so many of us actually settle for is, is, is a life that's bent towards comfort. And the Lord, I believe, is inviting you, it's inviting this community, it's inviting the body universal to be people of great courage. This morning, we're gonna jump into Acts chapter nine, and you're gonna see there's a real opportunity in the early church that when things get really hard for them, 
and things seemed to be going off the rails, what would have been the most logical, what would have been the most easy step for them to take was to stop and to find a little bit of, that's right, to find a little bit of comfort. I love when kids are in here. It's a sign of blessing and it's a sign of life to the community. I love it. They're never a distraction. It's a sign of God's blessing on us. But the early church must have had this temptation to go out and to find comfort because it's hard, it's difficult. Imagine, hey, Riverside, good morning. We're so glad you've decided to join us this week. Hey, we're launching back to two services next week. Oh, and by the way, good chance if you show up next week, about 90% of you will not be going home. You'll be going straight to the jail. Do you think we'd see a drop in attendance? This is the very real circumstances that the early church find themselves in. And yet, what you will see is that they chose courage over comfort. And so turn with me over to Acts chapter 9. We're going to be jumping into that this morning. Acts chapter 9, we're going to read a little bit and just make some observations and then do the kind of the so what. So let's do that. Uh, Acts chapter 9, I'll read it. Meanwhile... Saul, the religious leader that we were talking about, was still out breathing murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked them for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if you found anyone who belonged to the way, the way of Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners into Jerusalem. So the story in Acts 9 opens up with Paul, and um, excuse me, with Saul, this man that is trying to stomp out this new movement of God by going and arresting uh, early followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed all around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now this has nothing to do with what we're talking about this morning, but I think it's really fascinating. What did Jesus say to Saul? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? Who is Saul persecuting? The body. How does God identify himself? The body. Like, for, for those in here that's like, man, I feel real comfortable just kind of doing my thing. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Scripture says that when Jesus sees himself as the community gathered, super critical, super important, join a life group. All right, so here we go. Uh, who are you, Lord, Saul asks. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now, get up and go to the city and you will be told what to do. This is funny. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anything. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see anything. And so they led him by the hand to Damascus. For how many days? For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Okay, where else have you seen somebody step into darkness for three days? Jesus. What do you, how do you see this story already beginning to go? Whose footsteps, before he's even a follower of Jesus, do you see Saul beginning to follow in? Jesus. Jesus goes into darkness for three days. First thing that happens with Saul, he's blinded and he walks into darkness. Powerful, beautiful imagery there. Now, at the same time, all of this is going on. You have 
Saul in this encounter over here at the, on the Damascus Road, right over here. All this is beautiful. It's going on. It's powerful. And yet, God, over on this side of the story, is starting to tell something completely different is going on. So God is working over there, and yet he's beginning to plant seeds over here. Look at what it says in verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to Ananias in a vision. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias, which is you, come and place his hands on him and restore his, his sight. Now, Ananias he ain't no dummy, y'all. He knows who this guy Saul is. He knows what Saul is capable of, and he finds himself suddenly in a really hard place. Look at how he responds. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and the harm that he has done to your holy people. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all of those who are in your name. The argument does not go very well for Ananias, just so you know. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. This, this ain't cool right here. This is really uncomfortable. Listen to what it says. I will show him, Saul, how much he must be blessed and highly favored. <laughs> how much he must suffer. That's really uncomfortable. We talked about it all last kind of series going through the book of Timothy that the way of Jesus is upstream living. There is a cultural force and a spiritual force that will be pushing on you and as followers of Jesus we turn and we walk upstream and it is really difficult the way of following Jesus is difficult and what the very first thing that Jesus says is I will show this man how much he must suffer look at how the story ends it says this then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me, uh, has sent me so that you may see again physical and be filled with the Holy Spirit, spiritual. Immediately, something like scales began to fall from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And he got up and he was baptized and he carb loaded. <laughs> and he took some food and regained his strength. So what does he do after three days? He gets up and he's a man on a mission and he starts to eat. Now, something really interesting about this, this passage of the scripture as we talk about what does a life of courage look like. Did you notice what Ananias calls Saul? Did you notice it? What is the first words out of Ananias' mouth to Saul. Brother Saul, are you kidding me? I am convinced that so much of the dysfunction in church, the dysfunction in what it means to be a follower of Jesus, 
is because we have lost the inability to call somebody that is really different than us brother, sister. This is, uh, make, I mean, make no mistake about it. Saul at this point is the enemy of Ananias. He's at the other end of the spectrum. If Ananias is over here, Saul is over there. And what does he say to Saul? Brother, brother, listen, the family is way bigger than you make it. The family is way more uncomfortable than you can imagine. There are plenty of Uncle Rico's and Cousin Eddie's out there that we get to call brother and sister. And our inability to do that is a major dysfunction in the church. Major dysfunction. In just a few chapters, you're going to see Saul get his name changed to Paul. And if you have been hanging with Riverside for the last uh, two years, what have we done? Second Timothy, written by Paul. Before that, we did Romans, the Mount Everest of Scripture, written by Paul. Two-thirds of the Newer Testament written by Paul. And yet, there is a circumstance that Ananias finds himself in that is really hard. It's uncomfortable. And he has a choice to make. Am I like, like, Lord, you're, I think you've picked the wrong guy. Do you know who Saul is? Do you know who I am? And to choose a life of comfort. And yet, the battle for you and for us is not to go out and to seek comfort. Jesus brings that. But the battle for us is to be courageous. To choose to live a life of courageous. Marriage feel like it's, whew, it ain't getting better. And it's been a really long time. In fact, it's been years. Maybe you're between two options right now because this is real. And the financial kind of circumstances that our country is in, that we find ourselves in, there's two options and you're between both options. And one option is going to take you to a place of maybe some compromise in an area of gray. But it's going to provide for your family. Kids acting a fool right now and it's only the second week of school. Like the wheels are coming off. It's really difficult. And everything inside of us wants to choose comfort. And I need to tell you just straight up, honestly, right now, you are not designed to live a life of comfort. God has called you to be courageous. You are hardwired for it. The Holy Spirit has taken up residency inside of you. Do you know what the Holy Spirit is called? The, the comforter. Why? Because you're designed to be uncomfortable. That's the way you're wired. The Holy Spirit is inside of you because you're designed to be uncomfortable. And what's, what's uh, huh. so what's, let me be transparent. What's a little embarrassing for me is I go back and I read my journal for the last couple of years. Uh, and most of the time when I'm flipping through my journal and I'm looking through it, 
you will see stories of uncomfort and circumstances and conflict. And most of the time, my prayer has been, let me be real honest, God, would you fix them? (laughs) God, would you just remove them from my, like, this is difficult. And the theme of my journal is really, Lord, just get me out of this. God, would you just pull me out of this circumstance? And you know what has happened every single time? He doesn't pull me out of it. He pulls me right through it by choosing to take a step of courage and a step of courage and a step of courage and a step of courage. Every time you and me run out and we seek comfort on our own, this is going to be painful. But what we're really choosing to say is God I don't believe that you're enough. And that's a very sobering thought. When things are hard, when you get squeezed, no amount of shopping. I mean, let's be honest, I love Amazon Prime. (laughs) It is a great day when Amazon Prime shows up at my door. I love it. It's not going to fix things. It is a cheap substitute. When you're stressed and you want to take another drink, it's not going to fix it. When you have to have a drink after a drink at night because it helps take the edge off, you're choosing comfort over courage. When you have to erase your uh, internet history because you needed a moment to kind of just de, like check out of it all, you're choosing comfort. You're choosing comfort over courage. The kingdom will not break out. The kingdom cannot break out if you choose a life of comfort. It cannot. It will not. Have you ever noticed on social media when people post these really inspiring things and they're calling us to this life of courage and it's, holy cow, and they haven't done jack. It does not work that way. You cannot talk your way into courage. Courage is like every muscle that we have. It has to be experienced. Do you know how you walk in courage? You take a step of courage. That's the only way you will get courage in your life. I'm talking about courage this morning, and you will not be courageous because you hear me talking about courage. It does not work that way. The only way that you experience courage is by taking a step of courage. Every time you push into the Lord when you're uncomfortable, courage. Every time you stand in hope when your kids act a fool, courage. Every time it's like, this doesn't happen in my house, but every time me and Christy are sideways and I respond with grace, despite how she's acting, courage. (laughs) 
Usually that's flipped, just so you know. <laughs> you are not going to walk in courage if you don't take a step in courage. Courage has to be experienced. The kingdom will not break out. Do you know what the language of heaven is? A language of courage. Of when people will say, not me, me-centered, me-focused, God-centered, God-focused. It's all about you. I'm willing to embrace the fringe. I'm willing to be uncomfortable. Lord, would you just teach me to be faithful despite whatever is in front of me? Because I'm not convinced. And tell me if I'm wrong. Just tell me if I'm wrong. Has there any been, has there been anything great in your life that has happened to you because you chose comfort? All of the best things in my life have taken courage. Every, all of the best things in my life. Being a dad, woo, courage. Being a father, courage. Getting married, courage. Following Jesus, courage. Being a disciple, courage. All of the best things in my life have taken me to take a step of courage. It's not by choosing comfort. Never, not once. Changes even the way I pray. The way I relate to God right now. It's not God, get me out of this thing. I can't take it anymore. But God, teach me to stand courageously right in the middle of it. God, teach me to take one step of faithful obedience and then another and then another, God. When COVID hit uh, way back in March, I'm sorry to say, but my, my prayer for us was, come on, come on, come on, let's keep safe. Come on, come on, everybody. Let's, get, let, let's keep real safe right now. My prayer for us was, God, would you, take a, would you help us be a courageous people that walk through this incredibly difficult season with faith, with love, with joy, and with peace so that the world will be scratching their head wondering what is different about those Jesus followers. Do you see the distinction, the shift that happens when you and I live for comfort versus a life of courage? Absolutely. When things are falling apart in your life, it's not, Lord, get me out of this. Teach me to stand courageously before you right now. Courage, brothers and sisters, is your offering to the Lord. Go to that slide. God wants to do this. God, comfort is what Jesus gives, but courage is what we give him back. Our courage is an offering to the Lord that every time that you choose to take a step of courage, it's your worship. It's your praise. It's your offering. It's what you give back to the Lord. And my prayer for you this morning, no doubt, no doubt, don't pretend you're at church. No doubt. Many of us are right here, no doubt, where things are not looking good. Things are really difficult. And if you're honest, you're, like, you're hanging on by a thin thread. Many of us in here know exactly what I'm talking about. Or we're faced with this, which way are things going to go? Because what's normal for me where I'm bent is to run out and find some comfort just so that the pain will stop. 
let me just tell you what I believe the Lord wants to whisper to you this morning. I've called you to be brave. I've called you to be brave. I've called you to a life of courage. I've called you to stand by my strength right in the middle of it. Man, I just wonder what God wants to whisper to you this morning. Because this, this is where a lot of us find ourselves. I can't imagine anybody's not. Would you let him whisper to you this morning? Would you let him draw you to take another step of courage? Because a moment of courage can change the whole story. One moment of courage can change the trajectory of the whole stinking thing. Ananias, oftentimes, I've preached this Paul conversion more times than I could have even told you. I've stood in front of youth, students, young life, uh, churches, and I've preached and I've said, where would the church be without Paul? And I've totally blown it. (laughs) I want to scream now, where would the church be without the courageousness of Ananias? There would be no Paul without Ananias. Because one moment of faithfulness, one moment of courage, changed the trajectory of the whole stinking thing. Two-thirds of this is written by Paul. When a scared young man named Ananias put his hands on somebody that was the other, that was the different, that was the problem, and said, Brother Saul, one moment of courage can change the whole story.